today as we uh, read the call of worship, we look at the passage that's probably very familiar in Luke 17 about the ten lepers. Each one of them was healed, but only one of them returned to the Lord to praise the Lord. As I read that passage to myself, sometimes I think to myself, who am I like? Am I like those nine that received God's blessing without a second thought? Or am I like the other one who went and praised God? The Lord has been very gracious to us, and we have so much to give Him praise for. Today, I have the privilege of preaching to you. And the privilege that I have that the other brothers that, that preached in the past few weeks didn't have is that I'm a member of this body. And I know you. And I have the privilege of knowing the ways in which God has worked in this church and in your lives. And that's glorious. And so I wanted to see today, all of us, in God's word, how we may respond to him as he answers prayer. And so the place we are going is Psalm 20 and 21. The superscript for both of these psalms is the same. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. Choir master can also be translated as the chief musician. He is the one responsible for leading the assembled people of Israel in their corporate worship. It shows us that both of these psalms are meant for public singing. That the assembled people of God would gather together and they would sing this, these psalms as a part of their worship. Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 20 the national anthem of Israel. If we look at Psalm 20 as we read it through, the interpretive key, the, 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 the key that unlocks the psalm and helps us to understand what this psalm is talking about is in the last verse, in verse 9, where it says, O Lord, save the king. And so we see in Psalm 20, it is a psalm of prayer and blessing for the king. We could replace the word you in Psalm 20 in most places with the king. So we could say, may the Lord answer the king in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect the king, and so forth. Similarly, the interpretive key of Psalm 21 is in the first verse, where it says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices which shows us Psalm 21 is also a song of uh, uh, praise for the grace and the, the, the blessing that God has given to the king. And if we look at them together, it shows that Psalm 20 is, is apparently a song that they sang as the king was going out to battle. And Psalm 21 is one that they would sing apparently after the, song, after the king returns home in victory from battle. So these two psalms form a, a pair, a couplet. The first involving corporate prayer to God for the king. And the second, corporate response of praise to God by the king and by the people. So let's look at Psalm 20. We'll begin with 20 and then we'll move into 21. There are two main parts in this psalm. In verses 1 to 5, petitions for the king. And in verses 6 to 8, confessions of the people. And then lastly is a concluding psalm. So let's jump in at verse 1. It says... May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. You probably know, but as we go through this psalm today, it's probably helpful to remember the structure of Hebrew poetry. You know, in English, we have poems 
and the words rhyme, and, and that's how we kind of follow along with the poem. But in Hebrew, the words don't rhyme. The ideas rhyme. And so if you look at the first verse, it says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. And then it kind of repeats the same thing, but with a slight embellishment, but basically means the same thing. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. And that's how it is with most of these verses. There's a parallelism. The psalmist says something, then repeats it again in a similar way with a slight embellishment or with a, a modification or with an amplification. So the people are asking to the Lord, Lord, protect the king. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. And so with that in mind, let's look at what the people are asking God to do. They are praying that the Lord may answer and protect the king in the day of trouble. Now, the day of trouble is not explicitly mentioned here. What, what kind of trouble are they facing? But the context makes us seem, uh, it, it seems to imply that they're going off to war. The king is about to go off to war. And during the, the reign of King David, Israel was almost always at war. And here, before he goes out, he prays for the Lord's help. And in turn, the people pray for the Lord to answer the king's prayer. They invoke the name of the God of Jacob the strong person, the, the attributes of God. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In this name, in the name of the God of Jacob, they ask the Lord, Lord, answer the prayers of the king. The name of the God of Jacob has a really a militaristic sense, if you remember. The God of Jacob recalls the deliverance that God had provided for Jacob and for Jacob's descendants as he brought them out of Egypt, as he destroyed Pharaoh's army, as he cleared away the pagan people that lived in Canaan, and as he established Jacob's descendants in the land. So I hope that you're beginning to get a sense. This is the gathered people of God, assembled before the Lord, asking for the Lord to bless the king as he goes off to do battle. They continue in verse 2. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. So they're asking for God's support. And they're asking for God to answer from the sanctuary. The sanctuary is God's place. It's the tabernacle. Specifically, it's the Ark of the Covenant, which David had placed in Jerusalem. There are lots of examples in the Old Testament of kings coming before the Lord, uh, either before the temple or before the tabernacle, and asking God for victory as they went out to battle. One illustration is from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when the Ammonite and the Moabite armies, or the, the, the armies, uh, the enemies of God, they were besieging Jerusalem. And the king at that time, Jehoshaphat, assembled the people, it says in 2 Chronicles, before the house of the Lord, and there before the temple he prayed for God's deliverance. And in 2 Chronicles 20, 12, it says that Jehoshaphat prayed, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the Lord answered. And if you remember the story, the Lord caused the Ammonites and the Moabites to fight against the, themselves until not one soldier was left alive. In a similar way, in 2 Kings chapter 19, Hezekiah also received a letter, if you remember the story. He received a letter from the Assyrian uh, commander. Blaspheming God, saying that God will not protect you, 
We have already steamrolled all the nations and their gods, and who is your god to protect you if, he, if the other gods hasn't, haven't been able to protect their people? And Hezekiah brought this letter up, and it says in, in 2 Kings that he, he laid out the letter before the Lord in the temple, and he prayed to the Lord, and he asked the Lord, O Lord our God, save us, please, from the king of Assyria's hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God and the Lord answered by striking down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. So this is, uh, this, is the, this is the sense as the people gather before the Lord. They are assembled in front of the Lord in, in his, uh, before his sanctuary, asking him to bless the king as he goes out. In the same way, the Lord gives us help as we come before him in our time of need. Next, the people prayed for the Lord to remember and regard the, king the king's worship. If we look at verse 3, they prayed, May he remember, so may the Lord remember, all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. If you remember the story of King Saul, uh, the Philistines were gathered together and, and, and he wanted to offer a sacrifice and he got impatient and he offered the sacrifice when he should have waited for Samuel. So he should have waited. But what that shows is that it was a custom for the Israelites to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings before they went out to battle. So the sacrifice was right. It was just not right for him to do it. So this is what the people are praying for. Lord, as, we, as the king offers this sacrifice, accept the offering. Accept the sacrifice. And not just this one, but, with God, but regard with favor all of the king's offerings. His consistent life of devotion and love to the Lord. This is not uh, being superstitious. They don't think that they can like, bribe God into answering them. No, it, it's a plea for God in His grace to mercifully accept the devotion um, of David, the king, and to answer his prayer. Next, the people pray for the Lord to bless the king's plans. Obviously, the king, he's going out to battle. He has a strategy. He has a plan. He, he has desires to win the battle and to glorify God through the victory. And so in verse 4, the people pray, May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And lastly, the people pray for the Lord's salvation in verse 5. They say, May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. They're asking that as the Lord answers and as the Lord delivers the king, they may praise the Lord for his deliverance. And they will set up their banners to celebrate the victory of God. And these banners, I think, uh, harken back to the, the book of Numbers. When the people of Israel were marching through the wilderness, each one under the banner for their tribe. So in the same way as they lifted up their banners then, uh, celebrating, acknowledging the deliverance of God, they prayed for God to bless and deliver the king now, save his people, and in response, they will praise God. And finally, at the end of verse 5, they offer a concluding statement. They say, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. It's a summary of, of what they're praying. Lord, fulfill the petitions of the king. Answer the king's prayer. In verses 6 to 8, there's then a shift as the psalm switches
from the people's conf uh, prayer to their confession. So they finished praying, now they're confessing their trust and faith in God. So let's look at verses 6 to 8. So firstly, the people confess their assurance in the Lord's salvation. In verse 6 it says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. And if you notice in verse 6, there's a change to a singular plural, a singular pronoun. There's an individual, perhaps the king, or perhaps the Levite who's leading the worship. And that individual stands up and he says, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He's sure that the Lord will answer the king from heaven, and that he will save the king with the power of his right hand. And this person speaks in a, in a present tense. He doesn't say the Lord will save, but he says, the Lord saves. So certain is this man's assurance in God's salvation, he speaks as if it already happened. And then the people respond in verses 7 to 8. They say, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Of course, as we know, in that time, chariots and horses were the height of the military power. But today we have like jets and missiles, then they had chariots and horses. But they didn't rely on those things. Their trust was in the Lord, in His deliverance and salvation. Proverbs 21, it says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The people believed that because the Lord would fight for them, they were sure their enemies would fall, that they would stand up. They were like Mount Zion, uh, unmoved. Psalm 125 says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And so finally in verse 9, they summarize their whole prayer by saying, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call him. They emphasize to the Lord their prayer for the king. They pray that God may save the king. They pray that the king may answer them when they call, that the king may, through victory in battle, the king may establish God's people, that the king may be a blessing to God's people and establish God's kingdom. What are some of the practical applications then that we can glean from this psalm? Well, one, this psalm is a corporate prayer. And it shows us that it is good and right for us, as a, as a Christian body, to corporately pray on behalf of others. The scripture commands us to pray for those in authority, in 1 Timothy 2, uh, which includes our national government and even our church government, church leaders. The scripture tells us to pray for those enduring trials, especially those suffering for their faith in Christ, uh, like the four brothers we prayed for earlier in Iran. We can bear one another's burdens as we corporately gather around those facing a time of trial and bear their requests to the Lord as a body. Secondly, David wrote this psalm. It, maybe it would seem a little self-serving. David writing a psalm, asking God's blessing on himself. But actually it's not self-serving. It's humble. It shows us that it is right and good to ask others to pray for us. It is a humble and a trusting thing to request prayer from the body of believers. Apostle Paul frequently requested the church to pray for him, that God's word may speed ahead, 
that he may preach boldly, that he may be protected from evil and wicked, uh, wicked men and so forth. In James, the scripture tells us if anyone is sick, let him call for the elders to pray for him. Recently, our church has had a privilege to pray for the Hubbard family as they were unsure about baby Wyatt uh, before he was born with regards to his health and all of that. Thirdly, this psalm teaches us that in a time of trouble, we should react with prayer. John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Reacting with prayer in a time of trouble shows that our hope and our confidence is in our God. We are not trusting in chariots, we're not trusting in horses, uh, or in our job, or in our health, or in our relationships, or in anything else, but we trust in the Lord. And in a time of trouble, we ask for His deliverance and blessing. Now, um, is that all that this psalm means? Is it just a prayer for King David as he goes out to fight the earthly army? Or is there something more that the, that the people are praying for? Who, who is the ultimate subject of this psalm? If we look at verse 6, it gives us a clue. Verse 6 says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. Who, who is the anointed of God? Obviously we know that King David was anointed. He, he was anointed with oil by Samuel. But who in the scripture ultimately is called the Lord's anointed? You may know that the word Messiah means the anointed one. So that this psalm really ultimately has its application uh, not in King David, but the ultimate subject is the true king of God's people, the king of kings, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a messianic psalm. It's directed at Christ. The people are praying ultimately not for just David's victory, for David's deliverance, for the establishment of David's kingdom, but they are praying for God's true king, the son of David, and his victory, and the establishment of his eternal kingdom. So let's go back and let's consider how some of the prayers in this psalm ultimately are directed and fulfilled in, in Christ. In verse 1, they pray, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. All our Lord's days on earth were days of trouble. The scripture says he's a man of sorrows, familiar with trouble. And yet the Lord made those days of trouble into days of prayer. And so as the people pray for the king, that the Lord may hear his prayer, it also points to a prayer that the Father may hear the prayers of Christ. The Father may defend and preserve the Lord Jesus in his earthly work. And God answered that prayer. In Hebrews chapter 5, in verse 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and who was heard because of his reverence. In verse 3, the assembly prayed, May he remember all your offspring, offerings and regard with favor all your burnt sacrifices. So they are praying that God may regard Christ's earthly devotion. Christ's uh, earthly devotion, the only one whose earthly devotion really merited God's favor. And indeed, the Lord offered himself, uh, the Lord not just only, not only offered burnt offering and sacrifices uh, in the way that David did, but, but the Lord offered himself as the ultimate burnt offering and sacrifice for the Lord. 
and it was a sweet savor to the Most High. Spurgeon here says, Still does his burnt sacrifice perfume the courts of heaven, and through him the offerings of his people are received as his own offerings and sacrifices. In verse 4, the assembly prayed, May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And again and again in the New Testament, Jesus said, I am here not to do my will, but to do the will of the Father who sent me. That was his desire. And so the psalm is praying that the Father may grant Christ his desire, that Christ may fulfill the Father's will in accomplishing his messianic work, his work of redemption. In verse 5, the people pray, may we shout for joy in your salvation. In verse 6, the Lord saves his anointed. In verse 9, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. All these prayers ultimately find their fulfillment in a prayer for God the Father to save the Messiah, the true king, to save him from all his enemies so that he may glorify God and establish God's redeemed people forever. So this is, this is ultimately the focus uh, and the ultimate fulfillment of this song. And then we can ask ourselves, well, how did God answer? Did God answer? Psalm 20 uh, is the prayer, but, but where's the answer? And to answer that question, we have to look to Psalm 21. In Psalm 21, it's also another congregational hymn written for the people of God that they could pray and sing. And in, Spurgeon calls this one a triumphal ode, a royal triumphal ode. So it's a song uh, that occurs after the battle, giving thanks to God for the victory that he gave. Uh, again, it has two parts, verses 1 to 6. King David rejoices in God's mercies in the present, which ultimately are fulfilled in Christ. And then from verses 7 to 12, King David expresses his trust in God's mercies in the future, again pointing to their ultimate fulfillment in the reign of Christ. So let's go again through uh, Psalm 21. This time maybe a little faster. So Psalm 21 says, verse 1, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. So you can get the sense how tangibly the, the joy that King David has as he comes in from the battle, victorious, giving thanks to God, exalting in the strength of God, giving thanks for the Lord's salvation that he gave David over his enemies. The battle's over. The Lord granted him victory. And in response, goes to the Lord and exalts the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord for his salvation and for his strength. But David's victory was not the ultimate victory. And so this verse also looks ahead to the King Jesus rejoicing in the Father's strength. As a man, the Lord Jesus found strength in God alone. And God delivered him. Jesus offered himself up fully up unto death. He gave his life on the cross. And God raised him from the dead. It says, freeing him from the pangs of death, for death was powerless to keep its hold on him. Raising him through the power of the Spirit. And then God the Father seated Christ with glory in heaven at the Father's side as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so ultimately the fulfillment that, that, that David is rejoicing in the Lord is fulfilled in the Lord, the Lord Jesus, rejoicing in the strength and victory of the Father. Verse 2 says, You have given him his heart's desire. 
and have not withheld the request of his lips. Basically, David is saying, Lord, you answered my prayer. Actually, verse 2 is, is almost completely parallel with Psalm 20, verse 4. They, they really go together. David is praying and rejoicing that God heard his prayer and God answered his prayer. It's amazing that the God of heaven even hears our prayer, let alone that God is a God who answers them. God answered David's prayer by granting him victory in the battle, by establishing him as the king. And so David says in verse 3, For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. The crown here, uh, of course, it represents dominion and, and kingship, rulership. The rich blessings that God gave, that God gave David included the kingship for the kingdom. And that extended to his sons and his generations after him. But ultimately, the crown of fine gold, in its fullest sense, was set on the head of Christ. God rewarded the obedience of Christ when he died on the cross. God rewarded him with a rich reward. Christ is highly exalted above all things. Christ has been given a name above all names, seated on the throne of heaven and crowned with the eternal crown of, the, of God's divine government. And the blessing that David received, and the blessing ultimately that Christ received, is not short-lived. Because in verses 4 and 5, David praises God for the perpetuity of his blessing. He asked life of you, you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on Indeed, God preserved David's life. Through all of the battles that, that David went through, he never died. He didn't die because of those battles. He, he lived a long life. And indeed, God lengthened the rule of David's house. But only Christ's rule is forever and ever. And indeed, the rule of Christ is the fulfillment that God's promise to David. And so Isaiah chapter 9 says of Christ's rule, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. In verse 5, David rejoiced in the honor and the majesty that God had given to him. And David indeed was honored as the great king of Israel. But the ultimate glory and majesty in view here is the glory given to Christ. In verse 6, God praised God for the blessing of his presence. And indeed, David enjoyed the presence of God. But Christ descended into heaven to sit at God's right hand for all eternity. And so Jesus prayed that, the, that, God, may, that God may glorify him. In John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus asked the Father, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. That was Jesus' prayer. And the Father answered that prayer. The, after, after his suffering, the Father glorified the Son to the highest place and gave him a name above every name. So in Peter 4, it says, To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved Christian, you too are featured in this psalm. Verse 6, if you look at your note in your Bible, can also be rendered, for you make him a source of blessing. David, indeed, was a source of blessing to his nation. 
And even more than that, Christ Jesus is a source of blessing to God's people, including you and me. You who are in Christ have union with Christ. We are one with Christ. And therefore, in Christ, we have received all of the benefits given to Christ by the Father. We have received salvation. We have received the righteous work of Christ imputed to us, our sin given to Him. We have received fellowship with God and rich reward eternally in the kingdom of heaven. Through Christ, we can approach God in prayer. And He hears us and He answers us in Christ. Through Christ, we too may enter and sing praise to the Father. As Matthew Henry says, because we are in Christ, we rejoice in Christ's joy. And we triumph in Christ's exaltation. Then in verses 7 to 12, David shifts from rejoicing about present mercies to expressing his faith and trust in God for future mercies. In verse 7, he says that his, uh, because of the steadfast love of God, that he, will, that he is stable. In verses 8 to 12, he expresses confidence that the Lord will find out his enemies. The Lord will destroy them. The Lord will thwart the enemy's evil plans. And the Lord will put his enemies to flight. Truly, God did this for David's enemies. And in a fuller sense, this is promised, referring to the ultimate satisfaction that Jesus will have over his enemies when he comes again. 2 Thessalonians 1 7 to 9 says that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his mind. And so finally, the assembly conclude their song of praise in verse 13 by saying, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. And so to summarize, and this is really the summary, not just of, verse, of Psalm 21, but of this couplet, 20 and 21, where the whole assembly lifts their voices to exalt the Lord, exalt the Lord in his strength. Their song is written to praise God. Praise God for placing David on the throne. Praise God for answering our prayers for the king. The Lord answered their prayers the Lord answered David's prayers, and ultimately pointing to how God the Father answered Christ's prayers and established Christ as the ultimate king. And so in response to what God has done, the way that God answered prayer, the people praise the Lord and they give, they give Him glory. They exalt His name. They, they sing and praise His power. And so just as we sang in the hymn earlier, praise my soul, the King of heaven. That's what they're doing. They're praising the Lord for establishing David as the king and in ultimate fulfillment, Christ as the king of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore his praises sing. So what is the application of these two songs? What would we learn and apply from these two songs? First, Christ is our king. And in Christ our King, God has saved us. Christ has delivered us, those who are obedient to the gospel. Christ has delivered them from the God's wrath. In Christ we have freedom to access God and bring our petitions before Him. 
In Christ, God hears our prayers, and, and in Christ, God saves his people. Moreover, God has placed Christ on the throne and has established the kingship of Christ forever. And so this is our confidence as we bring our petitions before the Lord. And when God returns our prayers and answers, we return praise unto him. So Matthew, Matthew Henry commented uh, on this passage, Matthew Henry commented, God's gracious returns of prayer, do in a special way, require a humble return of praise. So that's what the people did. If you look at verse 13, they said, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Of course, we are nothing, and we can do nothing to lift up the Lord higher than he already is. But we recognize his glory. We praise him for his strength. We thank Him for His love. We extol the wondrous things that He has done. And we desire that His glory be more tangibly known in our lives, in our families, and in our church, in this nation. So as we come to a close, may we consider what prayer has God answered that we can praise Him for? Recently, as you know, our, us as a church gather around the Hubbards when it looked like baby Wyatt would have some trouble um, because of the ultrasounds. We pray for them as a body, and the Lord heard our prayer. He provided comfort for Tom and Rachel. He provided for all of their needs. He strengthened their faith and their trust. And in the end, the Lord healed Wyatt. So, as far as I understand, the concerns of the doctors have all been removed. Praise God. The past year, we also have been praying for Father Their daughter, Maggie, as you know, had cancer and, and was going through treatments for oh, a year or so. God heard the prayers of his people. And as I understand, Maggie is now cancer-free. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord who mercifully answers the prayers of his people. Within this church, we have so much to give thanks to God about. We have been asking God to bless the proclamation of His Word in this body. And look what He's doing. If we consider, uh, just to, to share from my heart, what the Lord has done in the past six months or 12 months, I think that there is so much for us to praise and give thanks to God about. How He has blessed His Word as promised to root and establish us in love. And, and we can see areas where we need to grow more, but we can also see areas where the Lord has faithfully brought us along. And we can give thanks to Him. I can see that within this church, God has answered prayers for us to grow in love with one another. I see that God is answering prayers for us to grow in our understanding of God's truth and living it out on His grace. We've prayed for our pastor, and the Lord has faithfully strengthened their family and continued to sustain Liam even through many ups and downs. And for all of these things, for all the private prayers also that I don't know about, the Lord has answered. And so we can say, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. And so to conclude, these two songs give us a picture of how God's people prayed for the king, for the king's blessing and victory, 
and how God answered their prayer. And even more so, God has answered the prayers in the scripture and, and God answered his, Christ's own prayer in Christ. But the Father has put Christ on the throne. In Christ we have the assurance of God's mercy. And in Christ we can confidently approach the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. And so as we experience the blessings of Christ, may we, and especially as we experience the mercy of God in His tangible answers to prayer, may we respond like these people. Let us sing and praise the Lord for His glorious power in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.